Hey, guys, don't forget, April 23rd through the 28th, 2023, we'll be in Nashville, Tennessee for the second Street Cop Training Conference. You do not want to miss out on that. So far, we have some real big headliners on there. It'll be five days of transforming training in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. Your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino. Today with me, a friend of mine, a guy that I met at the conference in October of 2021 for our first annual Street Cop Training Conference. As an interesting story, there's a lot of valuable lessons that'll be found. He's part of our initial members of the Street Cop Survivors Club for police officers who were violently injured in the line of duty and have found a lot of comfort and uh, camaraderie in that group. So if you're one of those people, I say that now because I want you to join it. It's absolutely free. It doesn't cost anything. But without further ado, Davis Hicks. And if you want to give us the one-minute bio of who you are, where you're from, how long you've been on the job, things like that, and then we'll go into what happens. Yeah, appreciate it, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so I've been a cop for now four years. I did two years in Houston uh, where I got some, in my opinion, some of the world-class training and Honestly, that's probably where, you know, the my good training for what helped save my life kind of kicked in. And uh, this is my second year at Mesquite now. So Mesquite, Texas is a small town just east of Dallas, for those who don't know. Did you grow up in Texas? Uh, yes, I did grow up in Texas. You don't really have right? much of an accent. Yeah, so I was born in California. And uh, what people who migrate to this state like to say is I got out of that place as fast as I can into to God's country. So... <laughs> So wait, did you grow you but you grew up in Texas though? I did grow up in Texas, yeah. Okay, it's interesting, man. Like it's so weird. Is there like a difference between like certain parts of Texas and how heavy your southern accent is? Yeah, so east and west Texas, they all they each have their own kind of uh accent, right? And I grew up in South Texas, kind of a Houston area, right? So big city. Um not a lot of people have an accent in uh in like larger cities. But uh throughout the talk and stuff, once I like there's certain numbers and stuff like that, I'll say, well, you'll hear the twang come out pretty well. All right, cool, man. Well, listen, let's go into, uh, give me, give me your, you, you gave us their bio. Let's go into what occurred. I'm very familiar with the circumstances. We talked about it in Atlantic City. I remember mm-hmm. you telling me about it. Uh, I find it interesting. And I think there's some good, real good points for police administrators and people who are coworkers and people who are maybe getting involved in this job to understand the responsibility of being a part of this job and that it may not be for everybody. So let's go on to what had occurred. Um, so it was, uh, you know, so I worked, uh, I was working deep nights. So 10 PM to 8 AM was our shift. Um, so I went in April 25th thinking it was going to be a good day. Uh, started out with my normal routine, pulling a couple of traffic stops here and there just to kind of get the ball rolling and stuff. And then got sent to an accident for a, which turned into a good DWI arrest. And, uh, kind of while I'm at this arrest, I get, uh, you know, I started hearing like some radio chatter about, we're in, uh, we're assisting another city with the chase and uh, our canines getting involved. And, you know, all of a sudden it bails out in our city. So now everyone's kind of going there and essentially the whole city ended up trying to help this other city with finding these three suspects. It was a good ag bed robbery. Um, and eventually leads to what I kind of told you that day on, uh, at the conference where we lost a canine, right? He was, uh, <clears throat> he was, was murdered pretty ruthlessly, ruthlessly. Uh, it was a little rough for a lot of us, um, but essentially it came to the part where it's like, do I go help my canine buddy find his dog or do I be the only unit available in the whole entire city to take calls? 
So I chose to be the only, only unit available in the whole entire city to take calls. Uh, so I work the south end of our city, and we're only split two ways, north and south. Uh, so I work the south end. They sent me to an assault in progress at the north end by myself. And that's kind of where I thought, like, oh, tonight's going to suck. Like, I don't feel right about this, but, you know, it's our job. We got to go do what we got to go do, right? Um, so I go to this house. I'm talking to the complainant, and she's like, yo, he walked down the street when you were coming down. I turned around, found him. He's a big dude, right? So I put him at gunpoint because it's just me by myself, got him down on the ground, took him into custody without any incident and stuff like that. And uh, another unit ended up clearing off of that call to come take it because it was her beat. And so a burglary dropped in my in the south end, and one of our sergeants went to go take it. And so me being the proactive type person I was, I was like, hell, this is going to be fun. I'll take it from Sarge. We'll be good. So I get there, and as I'm exiting my vehicle, we get a call of a shooting dropping one street over. And it like, there's no time delay or anything like that. So I'm like, this is weird because I heard zero gunshots whatsoever. And so I'm like, okay, I'll go to that. So I look at one of my buddies who's not the guy who ended up going with. And I was like, hey, you and me, let's go to this call. It should be easy, quick. Um, I mean, the kid doesn't have a gun, but he's saying his mom was shot. So I was like, F, let's go. Let's go do this. Let's go get a life-saving work, right? Uh also told dispatch, like, hey, have an ambulance stage down the street just in case this actual, you know, someone actually is shot so we can get this thing rolling pretty quickly. So the first address we go to ends up being the wrong address, right? And the guy I ended up going with uh, was a friend of mine at the time, and he, it was his beat. So he told the other person I was supposed to go with, hey, why don't you stay here with Sarge? I'll go with Hicks and we'll go take, get this taken care of. And uh, the other things that kind of like stood out to me is, right, so we have a shooting, not really in progress. We don't know if there's a weapon actually involved or not. No one's seen a gun or anything. There's no notes about that. But he decides to deploy his rifle. Don't know why. To this day, still don't understand why he did that, but he did. Uh, so the first house we went to was the wrong address. You know, knocked on the door. Old people answered the door, and I was like, you don't have some weird person in your house. And they're like, no. It's like, all right, cool. See you later. Uh, then we turned around kind of went. I got on the air, asked to confirm the address. Uh, they told me it was across the street from where we were. That's where the phone was pinging from. So we went across the street, knocked on the door, family opened the door, answered, and they were like, hey, the dude just ran out the window. So I was like, okay, cool. Show me show me which window so I know where we can set up our perimeter and kind of get that done. So it's on the east side of the house, went out the daughter's room. And uh, so I looked at my buddy and I was like, hey, you hold the backside, I'll hold the front side. We'll get more cover, set up the perimeter. At this time, I'm doing my whole thing, you know, like searching the area, making sure front side's okay. And I hear my partner give out a call and he's like, I, all I hear him say is, get your hands up, get your hands up. So in my mind, he's got one at gunpoint and I need to go help, right? So what I don't remember and what they told me, like my video shows is I slam open a gate to go help him. Um, in my head, I don't remember slamming open the gate, but I guess that's just one of the things like when you hit a trauma, you kind of forget some stuff, right? Um, but I remember, you know, slicing the pie, making sure everywhere I go is, co is cleared and I got good cover and everything like that. And as I'm coming to the edge of this garage, like how the house was, was like the driveway was in the back off of alleyway and it was covered and there's a garage. There was two cars. There was a van and another car. And I'm walking between the garage and the van. And uh, <clears throat> my gun comes around the corner and I guess my partner only sees my light 
and decides to pull the trigger. So he puts a, a five, five, six through my right arm, completely blows it open. Um, it went in through, right, it entered my bicep and then completely blew up my whole entire tricep. Um, I got in the air, told dispatch, you know, 162, we got shots fired, I've been hit. And as I'm doing that, I'm moving around cover because we're always tired. Once you get hit, you know, try to get off the X, right? Move your ass away. So I'm doing that. And uh, by this time, I guess the my partner has unfroze and is coming to me. And I'm yelling swear words left and right at him because, you know, he just put a round through my arm. Uh, I cussed him out. Did you realize it was him at that point that he did that? Yeah. Oh, I knew it was him from the get-go because the – I mean, right, once you – kind of in this job long enough and you go to the range enough that you can kind of tell the distinct sounds between a rifle and a pistol and everything like that. And again, our call notes never actually said that this person had a weapon. Right. So the dude who ended up calling it in was the suspect for the burglary and he was high on meth and thought he was in his own house. The first time when he broke into that person's house, he ended up breaking into a retired DPD officer's house who shot at him eight times and missed all eight times. Whoa. Um, yeah. And then, uh, like he was, I guess, just thinking people were out to get him and stuff like that. So, uh, but once the round entered my arm, right, I felt the burn and then I felt nothing else. So my body went into that shock phase when you're in a, you know, experiencing a high trauma. Uh, luckily my partner who did come to, as I'm cussing him out, uh, was able to apply a tourniquet to me and I made sure he put it in the right place and had it tight enough. And then he told me he can go fuck himself and, I walked my ass into the ambulance and we were off to Baylor. Mm. Yeah, it was rough. <clears throat> Wild. A lot yeah. of, well, we'll come back to some of the lessons there. Um, yeah. So you're off, you're off to the hospital. Um, I'm assuming that uh, a lot of this incident was kept very vague from the news media as we. It never actually hit the news media. So right when I tell people I was shot in line of duty, they're like, oh, yeah, we, we try to Google the article and there's nothing. And I was like, yeah, that's on purpose. Right. Especially nowadays, as we all know, like blue and blue crime, everyone's going to go ahead and make it seem like we don't get any training at all whatsoever. And so the first thing I remember telling uh, my chief, who was an interim chief at the time, the um, first thing I remember telling him was like, yo, keep this hush. Let's not get people in. I don't care what it takes. Let's not let the news know what happened. So now you're off to the hospital. Yeah. What happens? Um, so I'm off to the hospital, right? I look at one of my, uh, who's now a really good friend of mine, and I hand him my phone and I say, hey, you have to make the phone call of calling my wife, right? It's about 5 a.m. now. Uh, she was about to be waking up to go to work anyways. And so he makes the phone call. I'm in the ambulance just cracking jokes left and right, right? Trying to cope with what's going on. Um, they trauma stripped me from the waist up. So they cut all my top parts off and stuff like that. But I still have my radio on and my earpiece is in. So I'm hearing radio traffic going through about what's going on on the scene. They ended up catching the burglary suspect, which I was like, hey, cool. Awesome. Glad to know that. Um, I get to the <laughs> I get to the hospital and they're asking me a million questions, making sure I remember, you know, hey, you remember your name, you know, your social, your date of birth, all that kind of stuff. I remember as they're cutting up my pants, I look at my part, my, my friend, and I'm like, hey, you're about to see me butt ass naked. So you're going to need more counseling than I am. And uh, right, he kind of started laughing his ass off and stuff like that. So, you know, my, my spirits were still super high, even though I knew who shot me. I knew I was shot by a friend. Um, 
And I knew it was going to be a really long road of recovery ahead. Um, I also remember being in the, you know, when I was in the ambulance down there, they, you know, they have to check to make sure there's no other holes that the bowl didn't ricochet and go somewhere. Uh, that lifting my arm after it had been blown open as I'm bleeding out, right? That was the worst pain I think I've ever felt in my life because they had to check, you know, they had to check through your armpit and make sure nothing else was oh, there. And I was, dude. yeah, dude, it was, that was rough when they were like, okay, this is going to hurt and we got to raise it to check you. And I was like, okay, just fucking do it, dude, just do it. So they raised it and that hurt really bad. And then I remember getting to the hospital, you know, having my joke fun. And uh, I also told a nurse she could shove it because she wanted to give me the COVID shot. And I'm not about, yeah, I wasn't, trying to, I wasn't trying to get that right what ahead. What the fuck is that about? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, another nurse who I'm hoping was really new to nursing asked me on a pain rating from one to 10, what my pain rating was. And I remember telling her, I got fucking shot. What do you think my pain rating is? as they're pumping fentanyl and, you know, all the good drugs to numb your body. And so, and then was into surgery and they asked me all the same questions, you know, named out of our social, do you remember all that stuff? And as I'm telling them that stuff, they're pumping me with the anesthesia to knock my ass out to have surgery. Then you wake up, what's your, what your wife go through with that? When did she, did they get in touch uh, with her? Yeah. So they, they ended up getting in touch with her. She was, she came to the hospital pretty quickly. I was already in surgery when she got to the hospital um no so my wife's background is she's currently a nurse practitioner now but she was a er trauma nurse uh when she was just a you know a regular nurse and so she knows the trauma side right she's worked many gunshot wounds being in the er and in houston and stuff like that so she knew what was going to happen um so when she showed up they were trying to tell her like what you would talk to for like a normal wife right like a civilian wife and I remember she told me, she said, I looked at the nurse and I said, hey, I'm a former ER trauma nurse. Just tell me what's going on. So they were able to have a full normal conversation, all the high terms and lingos that those smart people know. And um, I remember coming out of anesthesia in the recovery room. And the first thing I asked my wife is, hey, can I hit a tattoo to cover up my scars? Like, no. Hey, babe. Glad I'm OK. Nice to see you. No. Hey, I think I want to get a tattoo to cover up my scars. Badass. From there, <clears throat> right, I do my, uh, the surgery was two and a half hours. I have four layers of stitching that are held my tricep, kind of put my tricep back in place. Jesus Christ. Uh, 23 staples between front stuff scarring and back scarring to bring all the skin back together. Oh, God. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so I go up to my recovery room, right? And I was only in the hospital for a couple of days. I think it was like three days. Um but the funny part was the jackass who killed our canine was down the, sh- down the hall from me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the real funny part is the nurse manager for the hospital thought that our two incidences were together, right? Like that, I thought he thought I got shot when our dog died. And so they were trying to move one of us. And I was like, no, 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 we're, it's separate. It's okay. We can stay. Um, so I guess the cool part for that part was like all my friends who had to go sit on this jackass came and visited me. We were hanging out. Oh, that's cool. Shit. Yeah, having fun. The nurses were pissed because they're like, well, someone's supposed to be on this bad person. And all my buddies are like, one, he's got three puncture wounds to his leg. It's wrapped up. He's got, you know, vac seals and stuff. He's not moving. So we're going to go hang out with a real person and not this asshole. Um, and so hanging out with all my friends during that time was fun. Right. It was awesome. cool. cool. Yeah. We had a lot of good talking. Uh, my wife met the whole department in like three hours, <laughs> which was uh, cool. And they like, when we go back, they're always like, oh, yeah, man, meeting you that night. And she was like, I don't, that was a blur to me. He'll right. probably remember more than I remember. So, 
but yeah, I was discharged three days later and then came back home and have been in recovery ever since. So what has your wife been dealing with after this? It's the first question I have for you. PTSD for her. Yeah. So she, she like, she'll wake up in a panic now. Right. So my shift now is I work 4 PM to 2 AM. I'm on light duty. So I'm in dispatch taking calls and dealing with, you know, citizens that way. Um, and if I'm not texting her by 2 AM saying I'm on my way home, she's waking up in a panic, right. Thinking like, Oh, what, what if something's happened to him again? What if he's injured again? And so I always get a reminder, like one, I'm not on the streets right now. Okay. Everything's okay. I'm coming home. I will text you every time I come home, you'll have nothing to worry about. Um, so I think the change in my schedule helped. And then just texting her, letting her know I'm home. Fine. I'm home. Or I'm coming home also is a nice relief to her, but she has moments um, around 5 a.m. where she's, even if I'm in bed, she freaks out, right? She has like vivid dreams about getting a phone call and hearing that I'm hurt and stuff like that. So, I mean, it also doesn't help that uh, eight months later, we had an officer get killed in line of duty. And so uh, that hit her pretty hard too, right? It was a good friend of mine. Now, granted, our department is 100 people, 100, 150 people. So we all know each other pretty well. And uh, his death kind of hit the whole department pretty hard. How did he pass? Uh, he was going to a disturbance at a grocery store uh, between a, a husband and a wife who the wife caught the husband cheating. And um, the wife confronted the girlfriend he was cheating with. And when he showed up, they got into a huge fight. And then my buddy showed up and was trying to calm everybody down. And he rounded his Tahoe. And the guy had a pistol already out and shot him. And it hit his collarbone, ricocheted down, and went through his aorta and killed him. Fuck, dude. Yeah. It was one of those, he was dead on scene type things. Yeah, that, was, that one was rough. Uh, but she's, I mean, she's doing a whole lot better now. We've gone through counseling together and separate. Um, you guys continuing with that? I'm not. We, we have a counselor. I mean, I have a, she's now a good friend uh, that if I need anything, she's a phone call away. Um, the group has also helped, right? The survivors club has definitely been a huge help that I can just reach out to anybody for at any time. Yeah, it's great. Dude. It's, it warms my heart that we actually, that the thing exists. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I'm not super involved in it because I, you yeah. know, like I, I wanted it to exist. I, I told you guys that when we started it, um, but I'm able to see it and monitor it. And I try to jump in and help and I'm always available for advice, but just knowing that you guys are there for each other is, is really badass. I mean, it's really cool. Well, it's, I mean, it was great, like meeting Matt, knowing that we're, you know, a 30 minute drive apart from each other. And when either one of us are going to go through some kind of difficulty, um, he's a phone call away and he'll drive to my house. Right. Great guy, bro. Yeah. yeah. They don't so, build motherfuckers like that. Like that dude is no, as they good as they yeah. get, bro. <laughs> um, and then I that, also. That, that's, that's one badass dude, too. Yeah, he is. To go with, he threw, yeah. Badass. When he went through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I also have a, my best friend from Houston who was in the military. He did 15 years. He was a bomb tech. So he has severe PTSD. Um, I mean, he's been blown up four times. Jesus. And yeah, so he was, he's also another person that I can make a phone call to and he gets what I'm going through, right? He gets the PTSD side of a trauma um, that you know, we'll prob probably say some stupid shit and he'll just be like, or you're just going through a moment right now. Mm -hmm. Now, like, I, I don't think my, I don't have as severe PTSD as some of the other guys do. Um, I never actually looked down to see what my arm looked like when, after the bullet went through, 
because my head went straight into, okay, how can I stop my bleeding and save my life? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so I never, not once did I look down and see it. They also never took pictures of my arm for like the scene or anything like that. So I, there's no recollection of what it looks like uh, that night. What are your physical limitations now? Um, so I have, I'm getting most use of my hand back. I have full use of my arm, full use of my elbow, full use of my wrist. Um, it's all in my hands and fingers, right? So, so you can see this. So I can't separate these two fingers, right? So they are forever stuck together, right? Um, and then I have what's called an owner claw, meaning when I turn my hand over to the side, this, these two ones start to bend in, right? Um, I have, I took a nerve test on Monday. I have no damage to my radial nerve, which is the outside one that controls your thumb, pointer finger, middle finger, and half your ring finger. I have moderate damage to my medial nerve, which I think is what controls your wrist and palm. And then I have severe damage to my ulnar nerve, which controls the other half of your ring finger and your pinky finger. Um, all the nerves are still intact. So eventually it will be fine and I'll be back to normal. Um, but I have no feeling in my pinky parts of my arm. I can't feel still just sensation wise. And then, uh, I get like ghost pains every now and then, but that's about it. What happened to the other guy? I know that we've talked before and there was a lot of concern, even when he was initially hired, when he had gone through training, people were very weary about this gentleman and his, his practical ability to apply any kind of skill in the field as a law enforcement officer. He, I guess he, the, I talked to him twice after the incident. Once the first week I got home, he called me and wanted to check on me. Um, never apologized. And I think that's what kind of really set me off the most and uh, kind of ruined our friendship was he, yeah, he never said like, Hey man, sorry for shooting you. I'm like, going to just jump in real quick. Yeah. And as an older guy, uh, I've learned a lot about a lot of things and, one thing that we have to kind of release a little bit, this might help you a tad is this judgment thing. And just hear me out for a second. Cause number one, I wasn't shot and I don't know how I would have felt at somebody if they had shot me and it was a friend of mine. Um, but maybe he didn't know how to say, I'm sorry. I'm sure the guy wasn't a horrible human being and yeah. maybe he just couldn't get the words out. I don't know if he didn't want to acknowledge it. Maybe he just didn't know how to say it. You know, often, We get very frustrated with people, but if you would hear in the background, maybe if he explained what he was going through, like, hey, man, I couldn't say I'm sorry, because if I did, I would acknowledge it. And I was afraid I was going to kill myself. Your position on how you would have. And again, I'm just making something up, but you would then release all that angst against him and go, I didn't know that. You know, I've I've had things in my life and I was very quick or I I held on to judgment for years. Um, I'll try to give a little bit of a share without with try to keep him vague. Somebody in my life had not been around for a while, and this is not for uh, because of whatever. And I said, you know, I don't think it was right that you left for so long. And that person responded with, if I had stayed, I would have been suicidal. I may have taken my life. I could not handle what was going on in my life at that time. And at that moment is when I found a lot of, I like just forgave and then moved into the healing process of like, well, welcome back. I'm just glad you're here. And I wish I would have known that. You know, I was frustrated with a lot of things of why that occurred. 
But that was, uh, you know, I try to, when I, when I feel like somebody has done something to me or the way you're expressing it, I try to go into like, well, maybe because of this, maybe he yeah, was never, scared that he was going to get, I don't know. It could have been a lot of things, but I, I have a hard time believing even if he was a dope that he was that bad that he, you know, I'm something, right, something. He, he was a good person, right? I mean, we hung out outside of work. Our kids played at the park together. Um, he, I thought he was a great person. He was really socially awkward, which like looking back at it from that day. And I was also right. I was still sulking in the, like, dude, you almost took my livelihood away. Um, you were, I mean, he was four millimeters from the round going through my brachial artery and I bleeding out on scene, right? Even if he would have got there quick enough to put tourniquet on, there's no way I would have been able to go back to do what I was able to do. Right. Um, I think I was at that point, the first phone call that I was just so upset that, you know, he took what I was put on this earth to do away from me. Um, and like, I, I remember on the phone call, you know I'm saying? Like, Hey dude, look, I forgive you for what happened. I know that was probably not your fault. I know you were, you know, you had just came from, you know, our canine being killed and finding him that way and stuff like that. And he wasn't a hundred percent in his right mind at that time. Um, so you told him that you forgave him. Yeah. And I was trying to give myself some closure, right? Like, Hey, maybe I can move forward from this. Right. Um, and then we didn't talk for three months just because I, I I couldn't look at him in the fa- like look at him at that time right it was hard um he texted me three or four months later saying like hey I'm resigning from the department um and I had known he was gonna leave he was trying to become a police officer uh in a different state right uh before and like honestly hit the night he shot me was his last night with us before he was leaving which then got extended because then we had to go through the whole investigation and everything like that. Um, he is now a police officer in a Northern state and um, hopefully he's learned to learn his mistake and is doing a whole lot better there. I have a prescription for you and I think it might help you do uh, find more closure. How about you check on him? Yeah. It takes a lot. Listen, man. It takes a lot of digging deep into your soul, but what a wonderful thing to know that, like, think about the story that you get to represent of, man, this motherfucker then calls this guy, make sure he's okay. Yeah. You're the one that shot, you call him, make sure he's okay. You don't got to do it today, but think about it, man. Because no, honestly, definitely, definitely something I'll do. I think you should. And I think that you're going to set an example for your children, your coworkers, and your friends of, what kind of person you are. And um, I wish somebody would have told me things like that when I was younger, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, you know, listening to your podcast and stuff like that has definitely not just on the police side, but even on the personal side has definitely helped me be a better person for, I mean, for my son, for my wife, uh, for our future kid, for, you know, for a lot of people. That right? means like, a lot to me, dude. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I I have tried, you know, since going to the conference, honestly, since going to the conference, I tell everybody in my police department, like, yo, y'all need to be getting into the street cop shit because Dennis will change your life. Dennis or Kenny or Brad or, you know, whoever they're listening to at that time. Let's just time. keep it at Dennis. Dennis is fine. We'll just take you back. <laughs> I mean, they'll, they'll change his life. I, I mean, I sent Kenny a message the other day that um, my best friend here, uh, and when I come back, he'll be one of the people I get to ride with. Um, he actually started implementing some of, some of Kenny's stuff from his podcast. 
and from your podcast, listening to like proactive policing and stuff like that. And that was a small bust for him, but he was able to, or like for uh, definitely for Kenny and it was just weed, but it was based on, he found the drugs based on the reactions that this guy was giving. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, he came to me so excited after listening to y'all's podcast about stuff that he was like, dude, I, I should have listened to this. I should have done this sooner. And I was like, bro, I've been telling you since October when I came back to start listening to them and your dumbass decided to wait this long. I'm glad you did it finally, but he sees the he sees the bigger picture than y'all. Wait, on a scale of one to ten, let's just come out of this sentimental moment for a second. Yeah, <laughs> uh, rate the conference and the experience for the week. It was a ten, man. I I fucking loved. Now, granted, we never left the casino because you know if you step outside Atlantic City is rough as shit, and I didn't have a. Well, there's nothing on. to do there. Yeah, uh, but. The people you have brought, man, the training that we got at that conference, even for what most of it was an hour and a half classes, that I soaked up so much that honestly, I was pissed that I got shot because it was like, <laughs> I want to come back and start using this shit, right? And I got to wait a year or or so to be able to implement everything I just learned. And so luckily you guys have the great podcast and I get to, I re-listen to all those to make sure that my, you know, the mental side of me is still there. and. I can still remember how to do the job when I come back. Yeah, bro. Um, and like, what, if you need access to some of our on-demand stuff, you'd let me know. I'll take care of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I will. Um, yeah, like but, you can have like my my proactive on-demand to get fresh before you go back on the road and stuff like that for sure. Yeah. Also, and like even the the rookies that are in FTO right now and stuff like that, like I'm talking <laughs> to those guys, right? I'm no instructor or anything like that, but the proactive shit that you teach, man, the, hey, don't do driver side approaches anymore. Do passenger side approaches. And here's the reason why. A lot of them have been doing that now. And right. I'm, it's it saved lives, man. It saved a lot of lives, dude. It's wild, it's wild, dude. Like, yeah, I'm getting chills while we're talking. But <laughs> you know, man, I'm a regular guy. I'm I'm just a regular guy who had some ideas, and I thought I could help change things. And you know, I maybe I'm irregular in the sense that I like love to be um, active, and and I'm, I like to work, and I like to be productive. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm really just continuing to hone my skills as a human being, and recognizing the responsibility of of what we have to do and the significant impact it'll have on the world. It sounds fucking crazy to say it, but I have to believe it at this point. I believed it. And now I'm like, all right, it's real. This is who we are. Is what we got to do. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, listening to all your stuff and thinking like, why haven't I done this sooner? Like, why haven't I found you guys sooner than last year and started implementing? Like if I would have implemented some of this shit in Houston, who knows what would have, fucking popped off in houston that yeah. would have made news right um i mean I, you know by the way i'm glad you didn't figure it out in you're 23 we have guys and girls come to class are like this is my 23rd year yeah. and i'm leaving in two and i'm gonna go out and fucking kill it now but i wish i had this when i was new i said the reason i wrote this program and started this company is because i wish i had it when i was new too yeah but what i had was crappy police academies crappy field training crappy command staff crappy coworkers. And I don't mean that in a sense they weren't good people. I'm saying they just the the job wasn't an art to them, or it was an art to me. Yeah, and I, I think I think what a lot of places don't do is like their their academy instructors don't go back on the streets, right, to see how it's actually being done now, right? Those are those are guys who haven't been on the streets in like five six years, mm-hmm. and shit, you know, shit, shit changes in a year, mm-hmm. and they haven't been patrolling for five or six years. Our department does. You have to do a mandatory ride out. I think it's twice a year just to kind of stay fresh. Yeah. Um, for guys who aren't Mark, in control. Yeah. I've heard good things about Mesquite. 
Yeah, thanks, man. We're, we're we're fucking killing it. I'll tell you that much. That's great, um, dude. That's great. Yeah. The command staff. Great, dude. So after after my shooting, they went into a whole thing of like, how can we help prevent something like this from happening again? A good revamp. Um, our peer support actually ended up getting a service dog. Uh, after my thing to help people deal with, you know, the traumatic incident and stuff like that. Um, they were super supportive, uh, always checking up, shooting text messages, coming over the house to set up a meal train. They, I mean, some of the most supportive brass that I've ever seen. That's great. You've heard good things about it. Yeah. So if anybody's looking for a job, say Mesquite, Texas, we're hiring. Yeah. You guys are proactive, right? (laughs) Super proactive. It's awesome. They push it. They push it really hard. It's badass, dude. So, Where is Mesquite uh, in, in relevance to Houston? Uh, so it's a three and a half hour drive northeast. What's it closer? What's the bigger city it's close to? Dallas. We butt up to Dallas. Okay. Yeah. So like we we share a border with Dallas. It's awesome, dude. Yeah. So That's I weird. guess the fun part, right? Dallas, what Dallas is, and I'm not harping on Dallas or anything like that because, I mean, they're a busy city and they deal with shootings and murders uh, on the daily, right? Um, but they can't do a lot of the same stuff we can, right? They can't chase unless it's for a violent crime. We can chase for anything, right? So, uh, you know, I met a I met a friend, uh, now he's a good friend, at Street Cop, who is a Dallas guy. And we ended up sitting right next to each other at the conference. And he overheard me talking about Mesquite. And all of a sudden, we clicked real fast, right? So he actually patrols the beat that butts up to the beat that I used to patrol. And so I was like, hey, anytime you got something's very small but like they're not stopping or they're running from me like you'll leak them into our city we'll chase them for you and then we'll catch them and hand them on back to you you guys can take the paperwork so that's been i like that deal (laughs) i'm sure he's not gonna like that deal but you'll like that deal he he's texted me a bunch of times and like hey i got this car it's sketchy i lit it up for a traffic violation he took off we couldn't do anything but he was heading into y'all city and so i'll put a message out and we end up finding him catching him it's great and uh Telling him, hey, this is all he had. Thanks for the intel. So it's good stuff, dude. Got to work together, right? Good partnership for sure. Hey, about this last thing I have for you. What's the biggest lesson you learned going through your incident? Honestly, I, I've been blessed with being able to watch my my son's three now, and he was two and a half, and I have his family time in. Is the biggest thing I learned is no matter what, right? The job can take you away. So spend every waking second you can when you're not at work with your family. It's a great one, dude. That is a very, very good response. And I actually talked about that yesterday. <laughs> so no, it's great. I'm glad you're paying attention, Mr. Hicks. Uh, thanks, man. Well, listen, dude, it was great seeing you, man. And to uh, a lifelong too, friendship, appreciate you tremendously. Heck yeah. Hey, I'll see you in Nashville, Bubba. Badass. I'll be there next <laughs> week, actually. With the, I'm bringing the crew there. We're going to do our recon mission. But nice. I will be there April 23rd to the 28th with bells on. However, yeah. I'm going to not drink as much as I did in Atlantic Because <laughs> running a... 15 well this uh, we i anticipate 1500 2000 people come to this event um i'm gonna have to be stone sober and crisp yeah so yeah. Um, although you know. i will tell you hey if this ever fails bro stand-up comedy is your next thing yeah That's i was, I was on sure. fire that week <laughs> you were on fire <laughs> yeah we actually asked if i could do the stand-up comedy routine people put in for it they're like yo could you stand up for like an hour for us and i'm like yeah i fucking do that, I don't care. Dude, that was, and especially since that the people behind us where we had our room were so upset about the loud music and your response to them was like, the, that was the greatest. <laughs> She's like, can you turn it down? And we're having like a study session. I'm like, that's not my problem. That's a problem you got to deal with with Harris. We're not turning anything down. And she's was, like, yeah, but it's loud. It's only, it's only separated by partitions. I'm like, that was, that's not my problem. 
Yeah, it's not awesome. my fucking problem. I'm running a fucking thousand man conference right now, a thousand person <clears throat> conference. Yeah, again, dude, you you're bringing class A people to this stuff, man. It is awesome. Meeting Tim Kennedy was definitely the highlight of my my thing. Right, I'm a huge, dude. I've been a huge fan of him even before meeting and being able to meet him and fuck, I mean, he gave me a hug because he found out I was from Texas. Right, I mean, the dude, fucking loves this state. And then yeah, he's a good dude, man. Oh heck yeah! Uh, my wife's favorite part was being able to meet Tommy. She's a she's got a lady crush on Tommy. And was I mean, Lauren's to, badass, bro. She's a great person. Dude. She's a great, she's so, a great human being. Honestly, God. Yeah. yeah. Every, dude, a, everyone you brought was fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm, I was actually quite impressed with the amount of humility that people deployed uh, when they have the attention that they have. And I was super proud that they were, that they were really just getting to know everybody and spending a lot of time with them. And, you know, we have so far, we have uh, two tremendous speakers for the next event. Mm-hmm. We have Kyle Carpenter and um, we have Rob O'Neill. And, I've been told that they're they're the same way as well, and I can't imagine they wouldn't be. Well, and like you know, when you bring military and law enforcement together, our jobs are almost identical, and we combine so easily that I mean, essentially, well, half like, the fucking cops were in the military. So yeah, so they're like they're talking to their friends. Yeah, so right, dude. it's easy for them. Yo, take care of that family, bro, and make that phone Thanks, call. Man. Check up on that guy. I will. I All right, appreciate you. Brother. I'll check up with you, brother. I'll see. You. I'm going to ask you that again. We'll see what Heck you did. Yeah, sounds good, man. I'm like. I'll make it. I'll probably make it today, honestly. Yo, be the year. example, bro. Like, let people know that you followed up and like you're really t- making sure that guy's okay. We'll do. Badass move, bro. It's a, it's a big life move, bro. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna help me out for sure. All right, good Dennis. advice. See you, my man. Later, Dennis.